A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're cordially invited to a brand new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where we're reviewing Downton Abbey, a new era plus covering off all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. Oh, and we love to talk all things movies. Quite indeed. Quite indeed, rather. Yes. <laughs> and Downton Abbey, A New Era, is the much-anticipated cinematic return of the global phenomenon, reuniting a beloved cast as they go on a grand journey to the south of France to uncover the mystery of the Dowager Countess's newly inherited villa. Wouldn't that be nice, just quietly? Mm, yeah, just... Got a casual villa inherited? I'm waiting for my letter in the mouth to tell me such. (laughs) Uh, Downton Abbey, A New Era is directed by Simon Curtis with a screenplay by Julian Fellows. It stars Hugh Bonneville, Michelle Dockery, Hugh Dancy, Dominic West, Maggie Smith, Sophie McShera, Joanne Froggett, Robert James Collier and Laura Haddock, among many many others. Now, before we begin this episode, we'd love to give a particular shout out to our new listeners from Cambridge over in the UK. Hello. Hello, Cambridge. Very appropriate for this episode. Oh, yes. And also a little more local, Adelaide, or affectionately known as Radelaide Mm. to us Aussies in South Australia. There's been a fresh uptake in those cities and we love to see it. We love to see it. Radelaide. (laughs) Adelaide. The city of churches no more. The city of podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And that's where I was from my holiday only recently. So, you know what? Fate. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. So, Lee, Downton Abbey was a wildly successful TV series. I think we might just start with a bit of a history lesson first Mm. for those who don't know uh, where this film is coming from. So, it was created by Julian Fellows who wrote the screenplay for this film. It ran for 52 episodes from 2010 to 2015 and it chronicled the lives of the British aristocratic Crawley family and their servants in the early 20th century. And then in 2019, ushered in a highly 
highly anticipated feature film, which was hugely successful. So they mm. made the first Downton Abbey film for US $13 million, and it made a return uh, globally of US $237 million. So It's incredibly popular. Hugely popular. So no surprise we're here talking about a sequel a couple of years later. Yes, I do have a bit of a scandal <gasps> to reveal though. Rather. Yes. Share. I'm sorry, we won't do these British accents <laughs> no. throughout the whole episode. You know what? I clocked. <laughs> did you? I want to listen back because did you kind of have a little bit of an English twinge when you started Maybe. reading this synopsis and then you just Maybe. dropped it? I mean, I lived in the UK for a long time and it just yes. kind of washes back over me every now and then. Are you like that when you're talking to British friends and you fall into the accent? Maybe. It yeah. happens to me all the time. Yeah. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate who I am. <laughs> Oh, we love you though. Um, oh yeah, I have something to reveal. Okay. I have not seen the series right. and I have not seen the first movie. Okay. I didn't get to go to the screening with you the first, it was in 2019 19. when the podcast was in its infancy. Yes, in its infancy. I actually took my auntie Maureen, shout out to many. Mm. I'm not actually sure if she listens to the podcast, but <laughs> I might get her to listen to this one. Yeah, I had never seen the TV series either. Mm-hmm. I still haven't. I've seen the first film, second film. What was the experience of this movie like for you then going in absolutely cold turkey? Well, I think it was enjoyable. Let me just Mm. say that to Mm. begin with. But the significance of who all these people are and their relationships and the interplay Mm. between them that's already been set up with the TV series and the movie was a bit lost on me. Yeah. So it opens with a lovely wedding. Very beautiful wedding. Beautiful wedding. Couldn't tell you who these people are, (laughs) but it was lovely to watch. And (laughs) we... And with all due respect, like I need the list of characters in front of me permanently because there's so many, so many many in this ensemble. It's a rich, beautiful, Mm. well-written character drama series of films Mm. and TV, whatever. But yeah, I'm I'm not very familiar with them. Which works for a TV series because you've got time to explore all these stories and all these characters. Mm. Do you think having so many people in a movie is to its detriment? And then they've mm. gone and split the story over two locations, which yes. we'll talk about. Which is exciting. Look, can I compare my experience mm-hmm. with the first film and second film to help answer that question? Yeah. So I went into the first movie not knowing who anyone was. Mm-hmm. No Tom, Dick or Harry. No fucking clue. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun meeting them. And mm. I feel like they added a bit more context to who these characters were. And I particularly enjoyed in the screening that I went to was full of fans, right? So the reactions of what was happening on screen. And so you got a sense of from the reactions, who was the endearing character, who was the, you know, the slightly bitchy one or whatever (laughs) it may be. With this one though, you just get thrown into it. Yeah. And they split the story like you said. So even with my minuter of an introduction to who these characters were in the world they come from, I too was just a little lost. So I can only imagine... How you yeah, felt. which means to say that this is for fans. Oh. The movie is 100% for fans. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but to, in terms of splitting the storyline across mm. two locations, they go to the south of France because mm-hmm. the Dowager Countess, the wonderful Maggie Smith, oh. Dame Maggie Smith, if you will. Yes, get it right. Please. Yes. She inherits a villa mm. from a tawdry love affair, I believe, but they don't really dive into that. Too much. Yeah, I feel like this movie just was very surface level, coasted along. Mm. There wasn't much conflict or friction. And no. I don't like, but does everyone just get along? There's a real sense of community and respect yes. here, but 
I'm hope I'm not hoping. I'm assuming that there was more tumultuousness going on across the 52 episode TV series because the films are very straighty 180. There had to have been. Yeah. I mean, it's all very refined, isn't it? Oh yes. The shocks aren't too shocking. The twists mm. aren't too out there. No wounds are picked at too much. It's all very civil. Yes. But I guess that's what people love about this show and the movies. Yeah, it's not. A lot of people um, have this take on Downton Abbey that it's just snobby, snobby, snobby. Mm. But it's not. It's really quite endearing. Yes. Even not knowing much about the history of these characters, mm. you do love them pretty quickly. Yeah. And there is such wonderful humour in the script oh, too and lighthearted fun, even in sad moments. I, I think this this movie was very funny. Yeah. That mainly from Maggie Smith, which we'll get into a little later in the episode. Yeah, and as you said, Julian Fellows, who wrote the series and the other movie, he knows the British class system inside and out. He's very familiar with this territory. So he delivers exactly what's expected, I think. Exactly, and I think there's a lot of change in in this movie, not only for the time period that it's set in, starts in 1928, but also for the series in of itself, doing things a little different, taking the action out of Downton Abbey Mm. for the first time and positioning it in Europe, in in the south of France. It talks to a lot of things like movies transitioning from silent films to talkies, Mm -hmm. so there's change there. There's weddings, there's finding one's passion in work and life again, chasing love, chasing dreams, and also discovering who like why you've inherited a villa from the south of France. So change change is a huge theme in this film. Yes, yes. And in terms of travelling to the south of France, it was filmed in Toulon, I believe, in the south of France. Mm -hmm. So they've actually gone there, but they didn't give us much setting the scene or the landscape. You know what I mean? Like Mm. Downton Abbey itself, Highclere Castle, is such a huge character Mm. in the TV series and the films. And then they go to the south of France and it just feels like a – it could be a studio location. Like, it could be anywhere. But you're saying it was a real location. It was a real location. I would have liked to have made that more of a character. So then, yeah, where were those big sweeping shots that we get of Downton Mm. Abbey for the south of France villa? Mm. Do you say France or France, by the way? South of France. France? France. We're from Radelaide, south of France. (laughs) France. I digress. (laughs) And I guess because the action is split over two locations, I don't know if this is the style of the series, but it's very short scenes, Mm. very bitsy. Yes. And it's pieced together to make a narrative, but you don't get a lot of time with any of the characters. There are about 350 characters (laughs) in this movie. Conservatively. Conservatively, yeah. This seems like a a dumb question. Mm. Do you think they were trying to juggle too much? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's my uneducated opinion about yeah. Downton Abbey, I guess. Did you enjoy it though? Just yes. as a blanket yes. statement? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I Me laughed. Too. I found it very funny. Yeah. I laughed a little too loud at points. <laughs> it can be so embarrassing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You have to sit next to me sometimes. A lot of the humour comes from this fish out of water experience of yes. the very uptight uh, butler, butler character yeah. who yeah is in the south of France. And, of course, the British have opinions about yes. the French, don't they? What does he say? The British are coming. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask, out of the million characters that mm. are in this movie, do you have any standouts? Oh, it go, it, without question, the mm-hmm. character of Violet Crawley played by Dame yes. Maggie Smith – for me, she's the real MVP of, of Downton Abbey. Yep. 
her witty, sharp tongue is something else. Yeah, yeah. And her delivery. Who, who's your favourite? Or is it Maggie? Can I? Yes, of yeah. course. It's Maggie, of course. Yes. But also Lady Mary, played by Michelle Dockery, who mm-hmm. is a boss. I mean, Michelle Dockery in anything, just gimme, gimme, gimme. Now, I really liked her character because she, at the end of the first film, was assumed to take over the estate of Downton mm. Abbey from her father, Robert Crawley, played by Hugh Bonneville. What was your take on her as a strong, independent woman and the challenges she faced in this movie. You loved her performance in her character? I did. She doesn't waver, does she? No. She's fantastic. So steadfast, yeah. but so charming and witty all the same. Uh, I was cheering her on the whole movie. And even though she is quite you know, stiff upper lip and doesn't really give anything away, mm. the nuances in her performance, you can feel what her character is going through. Yes. There, she is going through some things. She is dealing with a little bit, but she's dealing with it She's taking it in her stride. Mm. It probably phases her underneath the surface and you Mm -hmm. see pieces of that, but not a lot. No, and there was some moments of beautiful vulnerability, especially at the end. Vulnerability is a perfect word. That's what I'm going for. And I really appreciated the cap on her performance at the end of this film. It was just a really – it rounded itself out really well. I also want to single out Mr. Carson, the butler, mm-hmm. yeah. Jim Carter, who was just so funny. As I said, in the fish out of water sequences, yeah. <laughs> he's just, this he, is the way we've always done things. Oh, I'm going to wear my giant wool suit to the south of France in summer. <laughs> yeah, he was literally melting <laughs> on the French Riviera. It was hilarious. He is a fan favourite character, mm-hmm. as is Dame Maggie Smith in, in this in this series. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he delivers over and over. In this film, in terms of breaking down the, the more societal stuff, and he, br- mm. he brings it down to reality, which is what the servants or do, do they call them servants in the movie? I, ref- I would say staff is staff. more PC. Okay. Oh, gosh, <laughs> thanks for pull- pulling me up on that. Well, I'm just trying to be in the 1928 yes. mindset. They're not servants. They're family, They're family that live downstairs and don't don't look me in the eye. No, they don't do that. They don't do that. Did you? What was your take on the staff? Um, they're enjoyable, but again, I didn't know the interplay of who everyone was, so it was yes. a bit tricky for me. But I did enjoy watching them, and and they did feel like family, don't yes. they? They feel like part of the Crawley family, even though they serve the Crawley family. Yeah, and, and you know, there are moments in this movie without spoiling anything where the bridge between. Uh, upstairs and downstairs mm. that that bridge is united mm. in a really lovely fun way yeah and I, I enjoyed that part of the film one thing i want to ask you mm. whenever you see imelda staunton on screen who plays lady maud bagshaw <laughs> in this she's always dolores umbridge to me yes well, i thought you were gonna say do you always hear <laughs> that's right. yes. she's such an accomplished actress with yes. a huge career but to me she will always be Dolores Umbridge oh 100% I'm, <laughs> I'm with you you do have to suspend that sort of no 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 this is a, a different character different yeah. role it's not well it's all, also Professor McGonagall's uh, Dame Maggie Smith yeah. although yeah, I, I didn't so get for me. Yeah, yeah, I didn't so. get I didn't get the Professor McGonagall vibes um but there's you know a lot of people from harry potter in this movie true yeah (laughs) half of britain was in that movie Exactly. now can we talk about the look and the style of this movie the locations we've kind of already touched on with the south Mm. of france but the time period in itself and Mm -hmm. and later the music what do you have to say about it the costumes Mm. are stunning absolutely stunning it's like watching a themed fashion show play out, isn't it? I, I was mesmerised by the detail. Mm. And I've got to call out the costume designers, Anna Mary Scott Robbins, who has worked on all the Downton Abbey IP, mm-hmm. and Maha Meshede, I hope I pronounced that right, I probably didn't, who is coming into her own after being an assistant 
for so many years and I think they just did a wonderful job. So the word family translates uh, behind the camera yes. as well, which is really lovely to see. You know, this, the sets and the props, they're like second to none. You know, the yes. aesthetic of, of this series and the movies that have followed are just beautiful, accurate, stunning enchanting representations mm. of the time period. I always wonder where on earth do they source these amazing props and other design elements for a movie of this scale because mm. there is a lot, like a lot, a lot. Cars mm. are so detailed, like when they're driving through the south of France, when the cars are pulling up to the house and you know everything down to like forks and spoons and, and the plates that they eat off. Mm. It's all so ornately detailed. Where do you get this stuff from? Honestly, it is just to say a really blanket statement. It is the reputation of film that they just put so much effort and attention and detail into replicating or finding objects that reflect Mm. the time period. I mean, you only have to think about how James Cameron was so meticulous about how he was representing 1912 in Titanic. Mm. And th- there were the huge, huge headlines about that, that it was like exactly the same. You would thought that you were on the Titanic. Mm. And so that's the fun about period pieces because there's so much in enjoyment and skill and artistry in, in achieving that. And it's lost on me how they do it, to yeah. be honest. Oh, I couldn't have put it better myself. And just quietly, I've decided that I'm going to start dressing up for afternoon tea and cocktail hour. <laughs> full gloves and pearls and everything. I'll bring the scones down. Yes. Do you have your jam on the bottom and the cream on the top? Of course. Or, yes. That's you, how you do it. Well, no, there is in the north. I can't, I always forget. In the north of England, it's one way. And in the south of England, it's no. another. Where the cream is on the bottom and the jam's on the top, which sounds like anarchy to me. It is ridiculous. I mean, the jam's too heavy to sit on top of cream. The jam is just simply too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. We digress. We digress. Now, can we talk about the process of filmmaking? Mm. I got two cinephiles right here and you listening at home. You love movies. There's just something about watching the process of a film getting made that just hooks me in. Of them making the silent movie Mm. on location at Downton Abbey, which is a huge moment yeah. in, in the movie. Yeah, I don't know if we talked too much about that, but I don't think we I don't think we've once. mentioned that. No. Yeah, so a silent film is being made at Downton Abbey. Yes. Half the family are away in the south of France and half of them are at Downton Abbey mm-hmm. uh, watching this silent film be made. And yes, yes. it's fasc- it is fascinating to watch. And there's this moment where, you know, they're up against it with the challenges of silent films versus talkies as they mm. were called leading into the late 20s, early 30s, and then watching the engineering behind capturing sound on a Mm. film set back then. And it was just so interesting to me. Yeah. And the family found it interesting too and the servants found it interesting. (laughs) Showing up in more than one shot throughout the production of the film. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about the orchestral score, which is absolutely beautiful to listen to. It sets the scene. It sweeps you up in this world and this period the composer, John Lunn, has done all of Downton Abbey as well. Mm. So, you know, everybody just knows what they're doing on this film, don't they? I am obsessed with the music and I've got another shout out with my friend Alyssa who calls it the best TV theme music of all yes, time. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, so she is a big fan. It really just sweeps you up in the spectacle of it all. You know, you feel something. There yeah. is something really quite magical about the theme music in mm. Downton Abbey. Yeah, it's, it's really stunning to listen to. And I found that one of the most enjoyable aspects of this film. Just to build on that, one of the really notable changes in the music, which I loved, was when, when the film crew arrived to Downton Abbey, when Hollywood came to yeah. Downton, it suddenly took on that, the music, this 
like Hollywood glam feel. Yes. And I loved the accents of the theme kind of changing and weaving with the addition of Hollywood into the narrative. So I'm a huge fan of the music. Yeah, beautiful detail there you called Mm. out. Yes. Are we ready to wrap up our review of Downton Abbey, A New Era? Yes, Lady Lee. (laughs) Okay, I won't do my (laughs) wrap-up in any section, although I'm ghastly tempted. Okay, so Downton Abbey, A New Era is effortless entertainment. It is oh-so-pleasant, Oh, so funny and oh, so fabulous. The characters are divine, especially the incomparable Maggie Smith. That sharp tongue of her character is always a hoot. However, despite its pleasantries, the sequel seemed to be a lot about very little and I felt the impacts of the events taking place for these characters needed just a little more meat on the bones. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the balance of such an ensemble cast as we've discussed or the fact that I don't really know these characters well, uh, having never seen the series, that obviously must play a huge part in my experience with this movie. However, it is a lovely escapist film and there's so much to enjoy from start to finish. So I'm going to rate Downton Abbey a new era Three and a half popcorn kernels. Well, there's only so much drama you can have in a film about a proper stiff upper lip British family and their staff. There is never too much shock or outrage, even when there's a sniff of a scandal. And I guess that's the appeal. A new era is inoffensive and easy to watch, if a little sweet and formulaic, but it's obviously made for the fans. If you're familiar with the series, you'll enjoy this second cinematic visit to Downton Abbey that marks the dawning of a new era. Although I personally wonder if Cocktail Hour with the Crawleys is starting to go on a little long. <laughs> I'm going to give Downton Abbey a new era three popcorn kernels out of five. Oh, I would still go for Cocktail Hour. Yeah, for sure. Having said that. Please invite me. Please invite, please. Downton Abbey, a new era is in Australian cinemas from April 28. So, Tim, we have some exciting news to cover off this week. CinemaCon, the largest convention for the cinema industry, returned to Las Vegas. It wasn't on last year, so very excited to have it back. Yeah. And as expected, it dropped huge first looks at upcoming movies and teased new projects and generally just got us really excited about the film industry bouncing back from the last couple of years. So, let's highlight just some of the biggest reveals. Honestly, there was so much. I actually cannot believe it. So, let's go through it. Sony teased Venom 3 with Tom Hardy, which is anticipated to return, and a new film called El Muerto, starring WWE wrestler and Latino singer Bad Bunny in the leading role. Have you ever heard of Bad Bunny before? (laughs) No, but I haven't heard of El Muerto either. He's a Spider-Man villain and a masked wrestler, which is perfect for Bad Bunny, being Mm. a WWE wrestler, uh, whose mask gives him super strength. The character is pretty obscure in the comics landscape, but apparently uh, Bad Bunny dug him up and brought the pitch to Sony. Sony also confirmed a Ghostbusters prequel sequel is in the works. Of course, we knew that was going to happen. Do we really need this? No, but... We're going to get it. We're going to get it (laughs) and we'll watch it and we'll talk about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. What else happened at CinemaCon? So also at CinemaCon, the Batman sequel was confirmed with Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz and Matt Reeves, the director, all set to return. Amazing. I wonder who the villains are going to be. Well, I think the Joker will feature in this sequel. Yes, that's probably a safe bet. I'd love to see like Poison Ivy. Oh, yes, please. Bring back Uma Thurman. Yeah, Mr. Frost, Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Get out. Look, I am really excited for this sequel. The writing's on the wall was a huge success. Uh, And also I feel that 
Colin Farrell's Penguin will play a bigger role in the sequel yes. as well. So Although he is getting his own spin-off show. Is he? Yes. On HBO Max? Mm, probably. Probably? Okay. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's getting a spin-off series which is in the works with oh, Farrell, of course. Fantastic. All right, Lee. It mm-hmm. is time. The long-awaited Avatar sequel's title and logo was revealed as Avatar The Way of Water. We're actually getting an exclusive first look at the trailer this coming week. Yes, I can't wait. Um, it's going to play ahead of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness for audiences as well when it yes. hits uh, cinemaplexes around the world. The film is planned, Avatar The Way of Water, to be released in a myriad of formats including 2D, 3D, IMAX, of course, high frame rate versions and more. Yeah. I mean, we've been waiting so long for this, so we're going to get everything thrown at us at once. (laughs) James Cameron's like, pew, pew, pew. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Avatar The Way of Water is set more than a decade after the events of the first film. And it begins to tell the story of the Sully family, which is Jake, Natiri and their kids. And the trouble that follows them, the lengths they'll go to to keep each other safe and the battles that they need to fight to stay alive and then, of course, tragedy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that they're setting it more than a decade after the first movie because it's been more than a decade after the first movie came out for us. So there'll be real change in the characters, their lives. Obviously, they'll have kids Mm. and all those sorts of things. So that makes sense. So the sequel to the number one box office movie of all time still promises to wow Australian audiences on December 15. 2022. It's coming this year. Now, you know what's interesting about our experience watching this trailer in a couple of days' time from Mm. this moment of recording is that Disney or 20th Century Studios, they're actually playing the trailer on loop for like 45 minutes in a separate cinema. Yes. So they're they're doing things differently already about how they're introducing you to this long-awaited sequel. It's going to be an exciting rollout, I think. I've got chills, the Mm -hmm. popcorn podcast chills again. I feel like crying. I think it's safe to say that there won't be the entire movie in the trailer. No. (laughs) They'll hold some stuff back. They'll hold some stuff. They're probably still fucking making it. Yeah. (laughs) They'll be making it right up to the last minute, I'm sure. All right, we've got some Tom Cruise news, Lee. Tom Cruise and Paramount revealed the title of Mission Impossible 7 as Dead Reckoning Part 1. Mm. Interesting that it's got a part one on there. So in true Tom Cruise style, he sent an action-packed video of him from the set to make the announcement. The set of, I guess, part two, Mission Impossible 8. are they still... I mean, they they made both of them together. So I guess it makes sense that it's part one and part two. It's it's obviously going to be this massive overarching story Mm. to wrap up the franchise. So in this video, the camera zoomed out to reveal he was on a plane and then veered left and took a steep drop down into the canyon in a death-defying stunt. That's just so Tom Cruise though, isn't it? It's like, make an announcement, but... I'm going to jump out of a plane or I'm going to have a plane nosedive down a canyon. like Literally, like, make an announcement, but make it cruise. (laughs) (laughs) But make it Tom Cruise. But make it Tom Cruise. So Dead Reckoning Part 1 is expected in Australian cinemas July 2023. You know, that's after delays due to the pandemic and behind-the-scenes negotiations regarding the theatrical release window. Now, Hunger Games spin-off prequel The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes was teased and a release date announced as November of next year, 2023. Mm-hmm. So the synopsis for the film reads, years before he would become the tyrannical president of Pan Am, 18-year-old Corianalis Snow sees a chance for a change in fortunes when he is chosen to be a mentor to Lucy Gray Baird, the girl tribute from impoverished District 12. Yeah, so this is interesting. The book 
This book prequel only came out a couple of years ago. Oh. Uh, yeah, so it's based on an actual book. It's not just, you know, the Hollywood machine going into overdrive. But is it? Was <laughs> the book released because of the Hollywood machine? Probably. But look, a lot of the consensus is that if there's no J-Law, <laughs> yeah. we're not on board. But I'd like to quite see how this tyrannical President Snow became the man that Donald Sutherland played him as. I love Donald Sutherland, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but I found his character so boring. Yeah. So to have a prequel film about his rise doesn't really tickle my fancy okay. at this moment in time. Okay. Mm. If it's going to be a carbon copy in terms of like, you know, the, the beats, the narrative beats that the mm. story plays out, I, I don't know if I'll be interested because yeah. that does happen, doesn't it, when it's just like, okay, we need to have – a girl tribute that we can get behind and we need to have... So, will will we see literally another Hunger Games play out? That's what I wonder. So, we get another trilogy of Hunger Games? Yeah. I mean, I I love the films. Mm. I think the last two, the part one, part two, The Mockingjay were a little weaker, but I loved Hunger Games and Catching Mm. Fire. They were very thrilling movies. Might go back and watch them this weekend, actually. Oh, yeah? You just inspired me. Go on. Mm. Do it. So, director John M. Chu took to social media this week to sensationally announce that his adaptation of the hit Broadway smash Wicked will now be two films releasing Christmas in 2024 and 2025. Oh, my God. This kind of makes sense because it is a big story. It is a big story. I believe the Broadway musical goes for almost three hours. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah, so there's there's a lot to it. So in a oh, statement... I love that musical. You love, you love oh, Wicked? I love that musical. It's Josh's favourite, my yeah, husband. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I saw the original in London with Indina Menzel. Are you joking? You saw, I saw Adele Dazeem. I saw Adele Dazeem <laughs> as Elphaba. Nothing ever compares to that. So I'm like everything that comes after that is just like meh. <laughs> I am so jealous. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway. It was so good. Oh, deep breaths. I can't believe you saw Adele Dazeem. Okay. In his statement, Chu <laughs> said, as we prepared for the production over the past year, it became increasingly clear that it would be impossible to wrestle the story of Wicked into a single film without doing some real damage to it. As we tried to cut songs or trim characters, those decisions felt like fatal compromises. It's a very strong statement. Mm. Fatal compromises to the source material that has entertained us all for so many years. Can you imagine the rioting if they cut out songs from Honestly, the film? Honestly, there is, like, there are fan bases out there and then there's the wicked fan base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. John M. Chu would need to up his security personnel, I have yes. to say. So this has been met with a yeah. great amount amount of uh, respect. So the long anticipated film stars Cynthia Erivo as Elphaba and Ariana Grande as Glinda. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still not on board with that, <laughs> to be honest. Cynthia, yeah, yes, 100%. Ariana, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, this production has been plagued by many setbacks, having been in development for almost 20 years. It's and I'm kind time. of salty about that because if they'd got their act together... <laughs> Adele Dazeem could have been in it. <laughs> exactly. And who played Glinda? What's her what's her her name? Oh my god. No no, this is really 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 bad. I am a gay and I can't remember her name. Kristen Chenoweth. Thank you. Fuck. There you go. There we go. Yeah, so it's been played by so many setbacks for mm. like two decades and celebrated director Stephen Doldry left the project in 2020 due to scheduling conflicts. But, I mean, yeah. John M. Chu is a really great director to helm this. He did yes. such a great job within the Heights. Oh, amazing. So we'll see what eventuates. I mean, yeah, just to touch on your point about we've waited so long and then they're like, oh, you know what? 
we're going to make two movies, so we'll just need a little bit more time. No. And so it's literally still two and a half years away. Um, but anyway, we can exercise some more patience. Now, patience is being felt on another project at the moment. Mm. In some shocking news to come out of Hollywood this week, Justin Lin has stood down as director of Fast 10 literally days into filming. They just started filming. Mm. So he left the project over creative differences, it's reported. This is massive because Justin Lin is a huge part of the Fast franchise. Yeah. (laughs) Family. Exactly. So uh, some family drama going on behind the scenes. I don't know. But, you know, Lin is said to remain on as producer at least. So that's great. But it's meant production on the film has had to shut down until Universal find a replacement director. You know, we talk a lot about Vin Diesel and what a hype man, woo girl he is for this (laughs) franchise. He cares about it deeply. Yes, he does. Very, very deeply. He is very passionate about it. That passion spills into butting heads with a lot of people. I.e. Dwayne Johnson. Yes, and maybe even Justin Lin now. Who knows that speculation? But, yeah, I just... Who are they going to get in to replace him? I don't know. There's been quite a few directors that have worked across the nine previous films, Mm. so maybe they'll bring back an old faithful or, I don't know, do be something really fucking random and get Danny Ball to come and make the movie. (laughs) Can you imagine Danny Ball? (laughs) Actually, I don't really want to put that in the universe. Uh, Anyway, watch this space. You'll be the first to hear from Poppy Pod. Mm. Wait, I'll never call it Poppy Pod again. Please don't. (laughs) God. Christ. Okay, take the reins. Speaking of directors stepping down, John Watts, who is the director of Tom Holland's Spider-Man trilogy and did such a great job, amazing, has stepped away from the MCU's Fantastic Four film, which I actually forgot was in the works. So I, did I. I remember we saw a logo at years like ago. ages ago. Yeah. So his exit is said to have been amicable, but this marks the third attempt at adapting the Fantastic Four comics. And I think actually he might be directing the fourth Spider-Man film that's coming with Zendaya and Tom Holland. Okay, so you reckon that's why he's moved off? Maybe. They want him to continue as that consistent voice. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, but he also has said that he wants to step away from MCU films, so I'm not sure. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, this Fantastic Four is just cursed. It is cursed. (laughs) But I I do have every faith in Kevin Feige and the Marvel team. Like, I really do. They have to get it right because – Third time's lucky. Mm. They're not going to have another hall pass in them for for these beloved characters. But it makes me wonder, like, they're so beloved and they're doing such a great job. And even when films aren't the best or TV series aren't the best, um, I actually can't think of any examples right now. Moon Knight's on. Now, what do you think of Moon Knight? I'm really not enjoying it. I'm watching it, but it's not up there for me. Like, I'm not an idiot, but I've got no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> and I okay. am halfway through episode two yeah. and I'm just confused. I'm, oh, not okay. en- I'm not engaged. You need to stick with it a bit longer. I think I'm under- what are you up to? I'm understanding it. Well, I'm, I'm up to date with it, but I'm, okay. I'm understanding it. But it's just not as exciting as other series have been. I mean, like they can't all be fucking A-grade well, winners. And I mean, I love Oscar Isaac, so I love watching him. He's good, but I find his character so annoying. Stick with it. Which is, yeah, all right. Uh, stick you, with it. You got that twinkle in your eye. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. look, it's not bad. Like, yeah. don't mistake me. It's not bad. It's mm. just, you know, there, there's levels of MCU greatness. Sure. <laughs> I don't think it's up there. But anyway, I, dig- I digress. <laughs> My point is that Fantastic Four, now that MCU and Kevin Feige are sort of helming these kind of things, it makes me wonder at what point the tide is going to turn. 
Because it will, inevitably, won't it? And people will start going, oh, they don't make movies like they used to back in phase two, three. (laughs) The tide will turn if they don't reveal what the Avengers level threat is going to be soon. Like, what is the Infinity Stone saga uh, that they're going to do this time? But we're only partway through phase four and we didn't really get that until sort of the end of phase two, beginning of phase three. I get that, but that was in its infancy of the franchise. Right. This is an established franchise now and I feel like they need to give us something very soon. Okay. And I feel like it might happen in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yep. Yep. Oh, can't wait for so this. So, Sharon, oh my God, we literally see it in like 48 hours. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to bring the peak of your volume down for that <laughs> moment when I edit. All right, let's move on. So, more on directors. Gee, a lot of news on directors mm-hmm. this week. Actress Blake Lively is set to make her directorial debut with an adaptation of Brian Lee O'Malley's graphic novel, Seconds. O'Malley is the creator of Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. I love this for her. I think she will be a fantastic director. I agree. Yeah. So, Seconds tells the story of Katie Clay, head chef at a prospering restaurant named Seconds, who obtains the ability to fix her past mistakes by writing them down in a notebook, eating a mushroom, this feels very, very Brian Lee O'Malley, and falling asleep. Abusing the power to make her life perfect, Katie ends up creating more problems for herself. And um, the script for Seconds will come from Edgar Wright, which just feels... Like, perfect. That is just the perfect yep. creative marriage right there. What a interesting premise. <laughs> yes. Did you like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? I loved it. Yeah. I haven't seen it in quite a few years, but I remember thoroughly yeah. enjoying it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Uh, we also oh. got a first look this week at Margot Robbie as Barbie. How mm-hmm. exciting was that? She looks fantastic. She really, really does. So this film is directed by Greta Gerwig, who wrote and directed Little Women, very celebrated film back in 2019, and co-written by Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. And they're married, aren't they? Yes. Or they they're are. partners, mm-hmm. yeah. So the first look image is a retro pink fever dream with Robbie behind the wheel of a convertible wearing a polka dot headband. I just yes. love everything about this image. She looks just Bubbly and happy, yeah. everything you want Barbie to be. 100%. Yeah. Did you remember the the process of this film in development that Amy Schumer was cast? Yes, at one point, yeah. Like when you look that at That would have been a very different film. Totally It would have different. gone a different direction. And Diablo Cody was attached yep. to mm-hmm. write the script. Mm-hmm. So, gosh, yeah, it's gone through the motions for mm-hmm. sure. So, Barbie is due to hit Australian cinemas in July of 2023. And, you know, the supporting cast is pretty exciting too. We've got Ryan Gosling as Ken. Yes. I, just, I love that so much. <laughs> I hope he's, he doesn't wear a shirt. He's got to wear a kerchief around his neck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kate McKinnon, Alexandra Ship, America Ferreira, Simu Liu, Hari Neff and Will Ferrell are joining in on the fun. Gosh. I, I love it. That what a cast. cast. That, like, I was already excited about Greta Gerwig. Margot Robbie, mm-hmm. obviously Ryan Gosling, but that cast, like America Ferreira, mm-hmm. I've recently watched and loved her in We Crash, the Apple TV yes. Plus series. Like, I just, oh, I don't know. I, who are these people playing? No fucking idea, but I just love that well, they're there. Th- yeah, Barbie has like little sisters and friends and all that kind of thing. So, who do you think Will Ferrell's going to play? Like her oh, dad? No, he's the boss of a toy company or something. Like Mattel? Yes. Are we going yes. Meta? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Oh, so excited. When is it coming out? July of next year. Yep. Not far-ish. 12 months. Time is a construct over the last couple of years. It's just like, what is even time? Oh, God. 
Well, on that philosophical note, (laughs) that's it for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast. We covered off Downton Abbey, A New Era, which is in Australian cinemas right now. Yes, make sure you check it out. It is enjoyable if you are a fan. Indeed. Well, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.